Welcome everyone to the very first inaugural session of Scribe's Journey with the Three Scribes. I am Travis J. Crokin, the Calm Scribe, and I am joined with my fellow scribes who will introduce themselves now. I am LJ Stanton, the Pedantic Scribe. And I am T.R. Albee, the Oddball Scribe. Thank you both for being here, for agreeing to do this. The Scribe's Journey with the Three Scribes is a writing podcast where we'll be discussing the different aspects of writing, from marketing, from actually putting words down on the paper, editing, finding editors, avoiding predatory publishing houses, all of these other things that come up and how to enter contests and things like that. Uh, so to get started with this, let's talk a little bit about what we are currently working on. So Ted, you were just talking about first pages and first lines of a writing a kid's story, and you are working on a kid's book and a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about what, you're, what you've got going on right now? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess the, the creative flow for how I started writing this, these podcasts and these kids' books came from this bedtime story I was telling my son. I was short. It was about a dragon and mouse, and they were wanted to go on uh, a picnic, but the mouse couldn't fly and because it doesn't have any wings. So the dragon picked him up, and they went on a picnic. But it kind of expanded into this giant steampunk universe. I started writing a handful of picture books. Uh, I have about two of the five finished. I realized that the artwork is very expensive. What would be probably a good idea is to start on something that would be less art focus and more story focus. And I can totally talk about picture books and the art focus at a later time because um, I will ramble on and someone will have to stop me. But uh, currently I'm, I'm actually about 2,000 words away from finishing my first mid-grade novel. Uh, it's in the same universe that I'm working on in this the steampunk universe, which is an alternate earth in uh, that the the picture books were in and it's like you said you know travis i'm going to produce this into a free podcast for parents to listen to with their kids and also publish this as an audiobook and a uh, mid-grade novel first of a series so i'm excited almost done Yay. <laughs> i'm ready to roll i know that is so exciting being almost being done the first draft and audiobooks audiobooks is something i need to look into more they're becoming more and more of a thing they used to be Kind of a like, couple of houses that were doing audiobooks, and now they're becoming just massive uh, repertoires for writers. If there are some writers I know that audiobooks make up 50% of their income that they've got coming in. But I have to ask you if we, as we all know, that generally in a story, the character is in a different place at the end than they are from the beginning. So, without giving away a spoiler, does the mouse get wings at the end of the story? Well, okay, so let me step back here in a sec. So the the short the bedtime story that I told my son I actually turned into a picture book and I wrote that and he does kind of he's an inventor so he actually kind of does get wings so yes to answer your question in the picture book that I wrote based on the, the bedtime story he does kind of get wings his own in his own way he's a bit crafty LJ what are what do you have in the fire right now oh boy uh well obviously working with you guys here and that is in addition to i co-own the indie publishing house sword and board llc and i am also working on the sequel to the book that i published uh, last year called the dying sun it's the first book in a series it's called the gods chronicle that is set in a high fantasy world I uh, kind of think Game of Thrones, uh, so if you're a little bit squeamish, it's not going to be the series for you. It takes place in a continent that is similar to the Middle East, Africa, and Asia, if it was a giant supercontinent. And it is a story dealing with a religious civil war. 
going on. And that is where it all starts. <laughs> That's something that I still haven't picked up a copy of the book, I'll admit. I feel very bad about that. I definitely am going to make it one of the next books I buy because it sounds very fascinating. And that's how a lot of the religions really kind of started. There was a period where there was a lot of religions and this massive war broke out and only a few rose to the top and stayed at the top that way. Exactly. So I, for this one, it is that we've had a monotheistic religion that has been here on the continent for 900 years. And then suddenly these priestesses show up saying that they are from the old gods and that they have a message and a mission. And then everything just explodes from there. <laughs> oh, that's an exciting incident if I've ever heard of one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What gave you the inspiration for that? I have always been very passionate about mythology, especially Egyptian mythology. And then I went a little bit back into Roman and Greek mythology because of, of course, that's what we all study in school. And then as I grew up, I just became more and more fascinated with the Middle East as just a location and the cultures that are there and the rich diversity of people in that corner of the world. And the fact too, that I've always loved fantasy. It's just been my absolute favorite ever since, you know, I could get my hands on and understand Lord of the Rings. That was my jam, but it's got it is a little bit boring after a while because you get these really european models and it's always kind of the same group of people who look very similar doing very similar things in similar settings and i wanted to break out from that and it's been really exciting actually to see how there's been an update i would say in the industry with more and more books like this coming out with more diverse settings and I think having more diverse settings in the fantasy world may help the production and sale of fantasy in other countries. Because I find fantasies tend to be a very heavily westernized thing, or at least Western fantasies do really well in Western cultures. Um, yeah. But it'd be nice to kind of break open that market a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I have one lady that I am so excited to get my book into her hands because she took a long look at it and did the I want to read this. And she is in Lebanon. So it has been quite a journey that this book has taken to try and get to her. But I think it's arriving this week and I shipped it to her in May. So well, that's awesome. Wow. I'm really excited to get her her opinion on everything. That is fantastic. And then have her blow it up through Lebanon with and get Here's everyone hoping. else reading it. Here's hoping. That's quite the, uh, quite the time to get the book there. So for myself, I do a lot of different things and I work with plotters. So I do a lot of outlining and work with outlining and plot points and things like that. And I really get into the guts of storytelling and which is fantastic. I find having a job that allows you to focus on your passion and what you do is a great way of doing things. So the story that I'm working on currently is sci-fi, which is, I haven't written a sci-fi novel before. I've done thrillers and mysteries and kids books in the past. The book I'm working on is called The Lion of Archonomus, and it is set more than a thousand years in the future, in the year 3136. And the main premise behind it is there's a group of aliens called the Septrifides who have been monitoring the human species for the past 250,000 years. That's what they do is they go through the universe and they find an intelligent species that's burgeoning and follow them till they hit a certain level of intelligence. And then they start working with them to increase their technological capabilities so that they can go through 
the world or through the universe and help continue the work that they're doing. Unfortunately, because humans have this thing that everything we come across, we have to put into our mouths and eat. The major crisis in this is that one of the top chefs in the world decides he wants to be the first one to cook and serve alien flesh. So one of the aliens ends up getting murdered and that kind of sours the relationship and the agreement that they have. I love that as a premise because yeah, we are really bad about looking at something being like, I should put that in my mouth. Yeah, everything, <laughs> everything, like, everything yeah, is edible. Time. That is. And that's actually how I got the idea was I was sitting there in the shower one day and I thought, you know, if we did finally make contact with aliens and had a proper communication with them, how long would it take before one of us tried to eat them? And yeah. I don't so think shower it... thoughts are amazing for getting productivity. Done. <laughs> they absolutely are. I love shower thoughts. And the funny thing is, I've actually got religion tied into my story as well, because the aliens are waiting for what they call, they wait for the species to pass what they call the God barrier. And that is that so long as the species, human or otherwise, believe that they are created specifically by a greater being, then they're not willing or able to host or meet another alien species of a higher intellect because that challenges everything they believe. If I'm special and I'm unique, where is this coming from? So they wait until the God barrier religion has kind of broken down within the planet and then they enter in and try to interact with the species. So, but religion still is factored in. There is still a religion there because they realize that humans realize that getting rid of religion altogether was not effective. There's a certain aspect of society that doesn't want to understand science, doesn't care about science. They don't want to put deep thought into things. They just want to know that they're being taken care of and they're being looked after. And there's a certain level of comfort in the rituals of religion so the religion disappeared and then came back in a new format in this story i'm excited for you to finish this yeah i've been watching your stream on twitch for a while as you've been writing this i when you were talking about you had an idea in the shower i thought you were saying i wonder how aliens would taste <laughs> <laughs> well i have eaten um, i am one of those people i if you name something i've probably tried it at some point there's a few things that i haven't hit like century eggs and I'm, I'm looking at those there is a spot i found in my city that i can buy them though what are century eggs so century eggs are eggs they're black and rubbery and have okay. a very strong uh, scent and there it's a asian delicacy where the egg is put into salt and other ingredients and it's left to kind of cook within these ingredients over not a hundred years, but over a long period of time, over several years. I actually need to get working on my book. That's the problem is there's so many things that I need to just sit down and I've been trying to write my book on stream, but one or two days a week is not enough time to put into a novel to get it done. So I need to actually do some behind the scenes work and also keep things a little bit surprising for people. But I do like to do things on stream, like I've already taken my story and looked at the action adventure plot line and made sure and checked to see if I was hitting the right plot points along the way. And it turned out I was able to, let me rephrase that, I was able to naturally hit those points without thinking about them, they kind of flowed in. To that and that actually brings us up to our book of the month the book of the month that we've got going on we will be doing a book of the month each month uh, each time that we do one of these panels and this book of the month that ted is currently showing on stream is the hero with a thousand faces by joseph campbell this is a longer book it's actually very fascinating when you get into it you can tell it's when it was written there's some of the verbiage some of the language oh, yeah. and things like that are a little bit that older first sentence <laughs> for those of you that are not aware of this the first sentence that lj is referring to is whether we listen with aloof amusement to the dreamlike mumbo jumbo jumbo of some red-eyed witch doctor of the congo or read with cultivated rapture thin translations from the sonnets of the Mysteries of Lao Si now and again crack the hard nutshell of an argument of Aquinas 
or catch suddenly the shining meaning of a bizarre Eskimo fairy tale. It will be the one shape-shifting yet marvelously constant story that we find, together with a challengingly persistent suggestion of more remaining to be experienced than will ever be known or told. It ends strongly. It does end strongly, but it does end very much a product of its own time. But this was written, I think he wrote this in what, the, the 50s, the first one? Nine, I think, is when it was published. But it is a fascinating book in that it yes. does cover the monomyth, and it also discussed speaking about religion, and does also cover uh, religion and how basically what ended up with this is Joseph Campbell's study, stories, mythologies, religions, fables, all these different things, and traditions of cultures all over the world for many years, and really realized they all kind of had a similar theme and that was what he related to with the monomyth and that's a circular cycle that goes through which is kind of the grandfather of the hero's journey so if you are a writer this is definitely a must-read book it is great for understanding your craft for understanding storytelling throughout life and history Every time I read, like, I've been driving my wife nuts because I keep stopping and being like, oh, you have to hear it describes this. I find just the descriptions are absolutely gorgeous. Like where he talks about how all of life is contained within the egg of a flea and the entire taste of the ocean is contained in one drop. And it's just beautiful metaphors and similes that he has in there. But this is an important book to read, at least pages... 41 to 205, I believe it is, because our next panel will be discussing the hero's journey. And this is a good book to have some background in the hero's journey and how we got to that section. And how important, as you said, it is to know what the hero's journey is, particularly when you're writing a novel. Um, I'm not, I mean, even for, for short stories or a children's book too, it's the, you need to know what that is so that you can write it effectively or break it effectively. That's exactly it. You need to know what the rules are to know what you're breaking in order to have it be effective. And that's something that I find with this is that it, once you understand the basic principles, and it's to me, it's been fascinating to just see how different religions, different faiths, different cultures have had a very similar pattern going through, which is the hero's journey. And that's what I was saying with when I looked at the action adventure plot outline for the line of Archonomas. And when I said I naturally hit those plot points, it's because I know and I understand. And I'm still learning, but I have a certain level of knowledge and understanding of this. So when I'm writing the story, there's a certain flow that I get into. And that happens, you know, it's not at 10%, at 20%, at 30%, these things have to happen. But generally within those blocks, you know, with between 8% and 12% of the story, this, you know, the inciting incident should be occurring. And when you understand what it works and not only what, but why it works and how it carries you forward is fantastic. I mean, as you mentioned, like applying to kids books, I think when, when we talk about kids books, there's so many, I wouldn't say subgenres, but I think as you get into the older versions of it, like the chapter books, you know, I could see that being applied or mid-grade novels or even YA, especially YA, right? Those themes definitely can go hand in hand. But beyond that, I've been reading a lot to my son, you know, over the last six years. And uh, I guess it depends on the story, right? When I say it's the grandfather of storytelling, it's that's the just looking at one aspect of it where in a story, it's circular. It's circular. We start with the ordinary world. There's something that displeases the protagonist about it. They go off to do something to change it. They learn stuff. They get stuff. They find stuff. They defeat antagonists. And they transform and they come back different, back to their ordinary world in a different manner. This factors in across the board. If you're looking at a romance, it's the same right. thing as someone who believes they can't find love or they're not worthy of love. or And then something happens to force them out of that mold. 
they learn along the way and then they come back to their ordinary world with a new perspective of, oh, you know what? I am lovable. And maybe not everybody in the opposite sex is a terrible person, but there is, so there is still that transformation aspect of it and circular coming back to the ordinary world with a new perspective. And it's the same thing with romantic comedies, with action adventure, with thrillers. There's a transformation that goes on through the protagonist as you go through. Yeah, it's definitely not something that is only uh, applicable to fantasy or to sci-fi, even right. though certainly I think some of the greatest examples or some of the easiest uh, examples to spot that Hero's Journey are in sci-fi and fantasy. Like all the Star Wars stuff in the two offices here. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the clearest example of a Hero's Journey. There is just something nice about a circular cycle to a story. And you know, even thinking back to the kids' books that I've written, it's the same thing with the one tiny teddy which is a story about a small spider who is always teased by his siblings and wants to prove himself to them. There ends up being a food crisis and he goes out to try to save the day for the food crisis. And when he's out doing that, he finally gets his growth spurt and can't come back home. And he realizes along the way that he doesn't need uh, to, like going out and trying to do something dangerous to win the approval of his siblings was kind of a silly thing to do, even though it did pay off in the end, it was very dangerous. So he is bigger at the end of the story and he has a better understanding of what respect from siblings is and what's worth risking to get to there. What category was that like kind of broken into? Was it a picture book? So the way I write, I like to, especially for kids, I like to include words that are very big and very, like not very big, but bigger words and make it a little more difficult because well, yeah, I remember, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I remember growing up and having looked like that's a conversation started with my parents. Like, oh, what does that word mean? And you know, you're learning. And so this one was designed to be read by kids and to be read by parents to the children, but it is more of a picture book. So I'm currently in the works of having it illustrated, setting it up to be illustrated gotcha. fully. My my other book, The Big Deep, is more of a YA, and that's has a big twist in it, and it's about a main character named Ishmael who is trying to save his partner who he thinks is, uh, he wakes up because there's an earthquake and there's stuff happening where they are, and his partner's not there, and he goes off trying to find her. And the big twist in that one is that they're, because this is a fast-paced action adventure where he's going through and the, the tunnels are collapsing and all the stuff is going on around them, turns out that the characters you find at the end are actually moles. Because even my kids book have to have a twist in them. You know, I I like that how the dynamics between the three of us are really as far as our where we are in our writing journey, right? In our scribe's journey. Travis, you have a number of books that you self-published. LJ, I think that might be your first book, right? That you yep. self-published. I'm in the process of doing my first book, right? So I have I have nothing published. So we're all at different stages in our scribe's journey. I'm doing air quotes. No one can see that, but it's fine. So it's always interesting hearing your experiences and, you know, LJ, your experiences as well. So I, as I throw a random tangent right in there, because that's <laughs> what I do being odd as I am. Yes, thank you. There we go. <laughs> well, and I, I enjoy that there is a difference in genres as well. Right. You know, we kind of, I think, hit most of the bases particularly because of Travis being able to, since he's written in so many different types, um, but there's some experience at least for anyone who is listening, depending on what they, they want to write, they should be able to get something out of this. Um, and I think that I love the fact that you guys have worked on and written kids books because that is something I eventually would like to do as I have young nephews. But right now, it's definitely the, no, you cannot read anything anti-LJ writes. <laughs> that, those are questions that I don't need. 
<laughs> to have their parents doing the excuse you. I can't know about torture yet. They're two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I get that. You know, one of the things that we, we let my son do is listen to audiobooks. And Travis, you were saying how you use larger words. And a lot of these authors who are writing these mid-grade novels that we're letting him listen to, even classics like the Narnia series, right? He loves pretty much every book in that series. But then there's words that he comes back and he's, he's like, what is this? But yeah, you got to keep it clean for kids. No torture. You know? <laughs> no torture. But I think that never goes away. Like I still read books with like, it's funny, but I've actually got a dictionary beside me. And my wife has one beside her side of the bed as well. And yes, you can look things up really quickly online. But I'm still to this point where I'm reading a book and I look at something and I don't know what a certain word is. So I put the book down, I pull out the dictionary. I'm like, oh, what is that? And then I kind of think it's my little word of the day thing that happens to go through. And the hero with a thousand faces can definitely do that for you. That's one thing I will say. It, it is a bit of a, the first three chapters are a bit of a slog. Um, in the sense that they're very, they're written in very high level kind of academic talk. And then once they get into the actual breakdown of the journeys and things like that and how these structures work, it gets, becomes a little more accessible, but it is very academic and kind of dry for the first three chapters. Um, See, we're slogging through it so that other people don't have to. We can be, I think, the Cliff Notes and the Coles Notes. Ooh, I like how <laughs> that, I like you put that. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. And that's something that I think is it is important to be able to have the added vocabulary and the thing like when you're putting the stuff in that keep I find books need to be a point of conversation. That's you you don't want to just have someone pick up your book, read it and say, oh, that was pretty cool and put it down and walk away and not talk about it again. You want one to have them jump up and down and be like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever read and then go hit their friends over the head with it and say, you have to read this. But the other thing too, is to have the book like the hero with a thousand faces where they're going to touch the person next to them and be like, Hey, 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 listen, you, you have to hear this. This is so well written. This is so well done. Like one thing that drives me wild is when people watch movies and television series and they say that, you know, like, I absolutely love this. You know, my favorite character quote is this. And, you know, this, when this character said this thing, it really moved me and it really changed my life. And it was this amazing thing. And it's amazing how these quotes are attributed to the character. But there's an author behind that yeah. put that quote together. <laughs> yeah, or a writer. And just as a sub note, I don't think we're promoting anybody hit each other with this book because this book is quite heavy, actually. <laughs> I mean, it, you might actually do some damage hitting someone with us it's just it, it is quite it is quite it was like 400 pages right i was gonna say it, it's only 400 pages but it's dense it's thick it is hefty yeah don't but hit as people far as, books. like educating people and making them you know have right. to look things up that was one of the things i really wanted to do with my book series in part because of the fact that i am taking and being inspired by these different cultures that it was the i want it to be a book where Western readers are going to pick it up and have to do the, I don't actually know what a kaftan is or what a niqab is or any of these things that we're not very familiar with and make them look it up and be exposed to a culture and often a religion even that has been so villainized in the West and right. to have it be the, no, it's really not that scary when a woman is walking down the street in hijab and whatnot and bring in a little more familiarity for them. So that, yeah, we have books that are opening people's minds to so much more and using fiction to educate for real world matters as well. 
I'm part of this writer's cafe and I was actually contacted by one of the young African-American writer who's only ever written romance. And he, he told me, he's like, look, I have this idea for this science fiction, you know, movie. And we sat down and all he wants to do is challenge, like you said, everybody's opinions and everybody's knowledge on the African culture. And everything that we created within this this outline for these these four scripts that we're writing right we have an outline for the first movie we're in the process of writing it just going to try to challenge people's minds on on view of african culture african lore dance moves everything right so the more things that are out there that challenge it you know makes it easier for people to understand what they don't know right and i think that's what really causes some of the some of the things in the world challenging things like that is definitely the way to go right you have to and i have to have not picked up your book yet either i need to do that so so shame on me i know seriously that's it but no but it's it's, it is very important to challenge and to because i think as writers we have a certain not obligation or duty but the opportunity to affect real change and how we do things and the open because i know a lot of my perspectives and points of view on life have been changed um through reading books there's one absolutely love i can't i'm blanking on the author's name right now so i'm not gonna bring it up but it's i think it's on the suffering of others was the name of it and it was just a wonderful book but i'd have to i'd have to look that up but one thing i try to do too just to wrap up this one little bit is i also as much as you want to have people read and look at other things, you also don't want people putting your book down all the time, right? Like that's, yeah. that's not, you don't want to pull people out of your book. So you don't want to be throwing constant uh, heavy hitting words at them. So that's one thing I'm doing with my novel, The Line of Archonomus, is these are aliens from another planet. And I am introducing some of their language subtly throughout the book by using uh, analogies and using turns of phrase that are common in the human world. So there's in one scene, the main character is talking about how he really doesn't like this guy that's, or thinking about how he really doesn't like this guy that's coming up to talk to him and in it i say that it's not that he has a croon to grind against this guy he just doesn't know when to stop talking so most people are going to know the saying it's not that he has an axe to grind against this person so and that's what the one of the ways that i'm trying to insert foreign language into this is by using certain words in common english dialect context is so important so important because yeah it's just like really don't want people to just putting your book down every two seconds or having to go to your appendices every two seconds to do the crap what was that again <laughs> yeah that's what i found with the wheel of time series for the first for the first couple of books in the wheel of time series and if you took time away from reading the series and came back because robert jordan created his entire language and different verbiage and all these things for it and there's at certain points there's a lot of flipping to the back to see what this meant again and tying things back in together so it was a lot of research as you're going through and the fact that it took two years a year or two for each book to come out generally for the first 20 pages or the first several chapters of a new book you were trying to refresh yourself on what was happening so our next panel and podcast is going to be the hero's journey and we're going to be discussing joseph campbell and we're going to have another book of the month for you but this is the scribe's journey we're hitting the ground running with this stuff so there is going to be a lot of very exciting stuff coming up so things to look out for we just have to launch the scribe's journey website twitter page instagram facebook reddit discord all of these things will be coming out so this is going to be a full-fledged experience where you'll be able to immerse yourself ask questions and jump in on things 
and stay in touch with us when we're not doing the panel. So to that end, this is the end of the podcast section of the scribes journey with the three scribes. We will be uh, staying around to answer some questions and continue the conversation off podcast. So if you are interested in seeing this podcast recorded live, come check us out. All of this information will be made available on the website and all of our social media channels and things that we have set up as well. So for this point, I would like to thank my fellow scribes uh, for being here tonight. And does anyone have any final things to say before we wrap up the podcast section of this? I am excited for the continued journey. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a, it's going to be a real fun journey. Can't wait to see what happens in the future. So, And I could not agree more with that sentiment, but the scribe's journey isn't just about our journey. It's about your journey as well as writers and authors and aspiring writers out there. This is being built out to help everybody, us and you included, in expanding your writing career and become better writers. So thank you all for joining us. Now that we're done, go sharpen your quill and get back to writing.